babe. I found an app called The Perfect Marriage. It gives us a challenge, and it's supposed to make our marriage better. Okay. So why don't you read this one? Today's challenge is find a hobby to share. So take it easy, follow through. It doesn't have to be this hard. Here's what I can't figure out. Why are the women laughing so much at the man in pain? What what's motivating that? Hey, I just want to say welcome. Welcome to the fourth week of the 60-Day Marriage Challenge, man. Glad you guys are here. I I hope you're already sensing that there's some movement in your marriages, that there's some positive stuff happening. And I just want to say it again. I know I sound like a, a broken record or a dripping faucet. Please, please, please stay engaged. Don't you dare, don't you dare look at one of the challenges and go, oh, that one's a little funky and I have to stare in her eyes and I don't want to do that. And just don't do that. We built these things specifically believing that we were going to get you to outcomes that you want. And so we're just going to encourage you to stay engaged, do the challenges, even the ones that feel a little awkward, a little uncomfortable, do them because we believe you're going to see huge results if you follow through on this deal. I just want to say hi to the Santan, to the Scottsdale campus. So glad you guys are all part of this thing that we're doing together. It just feels good to be kind of a team and just going after this thing that we would all move our marriages forward together. Okay, today uh, may be the most practical of the messages that we've done so far. We're going to give you some steps, some things to do that I think you may see the most immediate results out of. And we're going to talk about this idea of how do you deal with conflict in your marriage? What do you do in those moments when you're most frustrated, most angry with your spouse? How do you navigate those moments to a place that's healthy and good and, and positive for your relationship? Matter of fact, I heard this joke about... Um, a marriage that was dealing with some conflict. Turns out that there's a elder in a church that's going through a marriage series very similar to this. And after a couple of weeks, he's feeling deeply convicted. So he goes to the pastor and he says, Pastor, I, I don't think I've ever told anybody this, but I'm going to tell you, for the 30 years that I've been married to my wife, every single day we have fought. We haven't skipped a single day. To which the pastor says, well, wait, 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 wait. This is Sunday, so you're telling me before you even made it to the message, before you got here, you've already had a fight today. And he says, absolutely. Knock down, drag out, big old fight. And he says, uh, well, how, how did it end? And he says, uh, it ended uh, with my wife crawling to me on her hands and her knees. To which then the pastor said, well, what did she say then? She said, get out from under that bed and fight like a man. So we're going to dig in. We're going to we're going to try to figure this whole thing out about what happens with conflict. And there's actually tons and tons of verses in the Bible that deal with what do you do when you're most frustrated with the person you're doing life with. And we're going to figure this out together. So grab your Bibles real quick. Uh, We're going to go to Proverbs chapter 17. Proverbs chapter 17. If you're unfamiliar, uh, if you go to the center of your Bible and just simply open it up, you're probably going to come to the book of Psalms, the book of songs in the Bible, uh, and go to the right just a little bit, and you'll get to the book of Proverbs, which is really a book of wise sayings written by the wisest man who ever walked the face of the earth, a guy by the name of Solomon, and he is going to give you and I comment about what to do in those moments when we're most deeply frustrated with our spouses, with somebody else in our life. 
Uh, here's what he says. It's Proverbs chapter 17, uh, starting in verse uh, 14. Starting a quarrel. You know, we're starting, starting a fight, letting, letting your anger get the best of you. You get engaged and now all of a sudden it becomes about, hey, I'm going to get my way and you're going to get your way. And as we engage in them, it says starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. And, and you get the visual. He's saying when you get into an anger-filled fight, when you begin to do that and you start saying things that later on you're going to regret, but you said them in the moment because you were trying for leverage or you're trying to win, when you get into these anger-filled moments with someone else, especially your spouse, it's like causing a crack in a dam, breaching a dam, suddenly it gives way, all the water comes out, and in that moment comes destruction. And once you've done that, you can no longer control the water. It is going to go on whatever path it's going to go on, and it's going to destroy whatever it's going to destroy. Being in a quarrel, being in an anger-filled fight, he says, is like breaching a dam. And so then he gives some advice. He says, so drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. He's saying to this moment, look, look, look. If the, it, it, if the only options you have are to breach the dam, to say something and do things that are going to wound and harm and hurt. If that's the only option you have, better to not even get in the fight. Better to not even have the discussion than to cause that much harm to the relationship. Here's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about why anger needs to be uninvited to our conflicts. And then we're going to talk about, is it possible... To now have a dispute, to have a moment of disagreement that actually becomes healthy. That actually takes us to a better place in the relationship. And what would that look like? Okay? So here's what you've got to get in this moment. Anger-based fights are always about winning. Anger-based fights are always about, I'm going to do what I need to do. I'm going to say what I need to say. I'm going to leverage the discussion, and I'm going to make sure that I come out on top. Now, here's the problem. In every single marriage, one of you is a better arguer than the other one. Have you figured out which one that is in the marriage? And here's the deal. If you're the one that usually wins, in other words, you know how to turn the words. You can pop answers quicker than your spouse can pop answers. You've got the capacity, even when you're responsible, to somehow divert the attention from the topic and get it off onto something else. And so more often than not, you end up in the winning position. The problem is, in order for you to be the winner, then somebody has to be the loser. Which, guys, think about this. This is absolutely insane. Remember the scripture that says, For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall be joined to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Do you realize then that if you turn your capacities and your abilities on your spouse, the person you're supposed to be one with, this is like self-cannibalization. I actually thought that was scary, but anyways, I, because you, th- you think about th- this is this this has this has the same factors. If you said, "Hey, I'm hungry," I think I'll just lop off a finger. Hey, I want to win a fight, so I think I'll wound my spouse. It's a crazy tactic for a couple that's actually working toward being one flesh. And here's what happens in this moment: if you're the winner then you think things are going really, really well in your relationship. You're going, hey, this is actually a really good relationship. 
I win most of the time. But here's what happens to your spouse's heart. See, when you get done with the argument and somehow you've out-argued, you've out-navigated, you've, you've diverted the blame and the attention somewhere else, your spouse then goes over the chalkboard of their heart and goes, okay, that's just one more time. That's just one more time I wasn't heard. That, that's one more time I tried to share what I was feeling and what I was thinking. And, and at the end of the day, it got turned and twisted and, and I'm left in the same place I was. And here's what I know. I know my spouse is going to do it again next time because they can argue their way out of it. And what you need to know is that every single time that happens, every single one of these marks, you might as well just accept that that is just one more little piece of their heart leaving the relationship. That as this happens over and over again, the chalkboard fills up. I wish I could tell you how many times I've gone into marriage counseling and I've said to a husband, hey, you know, what could she do? What could she do that if she if she behaved this way or said this thing or treated you differently, that you would believe that she actually wanted to turn this marriage around? What, what would give you even the slightest bit of hope? I wish I could tell you how many times I've asked a wife and said, hey, what is it your husband could do? Uh, what, what, what behavior, what, what would he uh, change about how he treats you? That if you saw him do that, uh, you would immediately know that he really, really did value your relationship and, and was willing uh, to work on it. What, what could he do? And guess what the answer is when that chalkboard is filled? Nothing. Nothing. I'm absolutely worn out. I've put my heart out there enough times. I I know how easily they can circumvent the conversation. I know how... There's nothing. I am absolutely and completely done. And guys, here's what you need to get. Winning is the quickest way to get yourself to losing your relationship. Matter of fact, grab your, uh, grab your Bibles real quick with me to Ephesians chapter 4. If you're not familiar, if you go to the back of your Bible and work to the left, uh, you're going to find this passage. If you get to the New Testament, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. So we said the first problem, the first problem with with anger-based relationships is it's about winning, which means somebody in the relationship has to be a loser. But here's the second thing you need to know, that when a husband and a wife come to this moment with anger filling their hearts is simply this. Men and women respond absolutely opposite to moments of anger and aggression. Okay, so here's what you need to grab in the moment. Men, when they are confronted with anger and aggression, disengage. Women, when they're confronted with conflict, engage. Okay, let, let me see if I can walk you through this. Ladies, lady, you got to grab this because it, it begins to help us understand why this thing is going so terribly wrong in our relationships. Ladies, when you watch two men in conflict, what do they do? They, they get up in each other's faces. They start wagging their head. Your mama was coming. All right? That's what they do. 
That's what men do. Okay? And, and as that thing goes, here's what happens as two men engage each other eye-to-eye, face-to-face, verbally. There is a decision that has to happen now in which men are going to say, okay, we're either going to go to blows. I mean, that's the next thing. I'm just going to and pop you down one. That's what I'm going to do. Or a man in that moment says, wait, 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 wait. This is my best friend. This is my buddy. And I, I don't want to lose this relationship over this. And you ready? Out of absolute honor and respect, a man will disengage. So a man will go, hey, wait, you know, I just need to cool off. Well, no, no, no. And he'll walk away. He doesn't do that because he's fearful. He doesn't do that because he does it out of honor to say, look, if I stay here, if I stay in this moment, I'm going to, I'm going to do something next that I'm going to regret that is going to cause our relationship to go somewhere dark. And in absolute honor, at the boiling point of conflict, a man disengages. Here's why this is so critical. Because women are just the opposite. In moments of high conflict, women engage. See, women in that moment become highly verbal. I mean, it's crazy what women will say to each other. And they don't stop until they... And then they wear out. And then they hug each other. It's just... And men are mystified. Okay? But think about this, ladies. So now you're in the moment of conflict. And your heart says, it's time to engage. If he really loves, we'll work this out. And we'll talk about it. We'll get there until we... And as you come and engage him, guess what that looks like to him? Aggression. And in that moment, as you're verbalizing, going after it, and then in his heart, he says, the, the best thing I can do right now, the, the, the healthiest thing I can do right now is disengage because I'm going to say something. I mean, the next thing out of my mouth is going to be so wounding and so hurtful. I'm so mad right now. I'm going to do the wrong thing right now. And he disengages. And in that moment, she feels deeply belittled and unloved. Because, because you're ready for this? When a woman disengages with another woman, here's what she's saying. You are of so little consequence and you are of so little value. You're not worth my time to talk this through. So I'm just going to write you off as worthless. And it's an absolutely wounding moment to a heart of a woman. It's why when you and I bring anger to our conflict, we intuitively do the most hurtful, harmful things to each other because of how men deal and women deal with anger. So now we go to the passage. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. Here's what it says. In your anger, in your frustration, in that moment when you just want to tell them off, in your anger... Do not sin. Matter of fact, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not, get this, do not give the devil a foothold. He's saying, look, 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 if you're not careful, in this moment of anger and conflict, you have all the capacity to put the seeds into your marriage that will ultimately be the thing the enemy uses to absolutely drag your relationship down. Because you realize you and I have an enemy and he would love nothing more than for your marriage to fail. 
Hey guys, can I just say to you, I think one of the greatest testimonies that you and I have actually been touched by Jesus Christ and changed is how we treat our spouse. I think for people who are far from God and trying to figure this Jesus thing out, one of the most powerful things you can do is show a healthy marriage. Because here's what people that are far from God understand. Marriage is hard. And when you and I suddenly treat our spouse in a Christ-like way, they are mystified and they go, what in the world? How did you do that? But when you and I are confronting each other in anger-filled moments, when you and I are coming after each other to win the argument instead of solve the argument, then people who are far from God say, see, your Jesus hasn't done anything for you that's better than what hasn't been done for me. This begins what I call the crazy cycle, okay? So here's, here's what happens. You've got a guy, here's his wife, and she begins to say to him, hey, you know what, I'm, I'm really frustrated, I don't like, and, and, you know, things aren't working very well right here. And as she begins to engage and put the input in and say it in a way of disappointment, guess how he feels? Ladies, how does he feel in that moment? Look at that! Disrespected. Because here's what a man hears when his wife says, hey, you know what? You're not spending enough time with the kids. Hey, how come you didn't get home? Guess what he hears? You're failing me, and I am disappointed with you right now, which feels deeply disrespectful to him. And what did we say that men do when they feel disrespected? They disengage. They, they draw back. They go, look, no, no. I, I, I'm just not interested in input right now. I just, look, I mean, if, if all I do is disappoint you, well, then I guess I'm not going to try that hard anymore. Because men hate to fail. When he disengages from her, when he withdraws his heart a little bit, guess how she feels? Unloved. Guys, think, think for a second. Last week when we were talking, we said that men absolutely crave to be respected, to have a sense of accomplishment. That women absolutely crave to be loved by their husbands. He feels disrespected. He disengages. She feels unloved by his disengagement. Guess what she begins to do? Verbalize. Because that's what women do in conflict. Well, hey, what, this is, you know, can we, what about, and how come you didn't, and what if? And as she begins now to di- verbalize what's broken in the relationship and her disappointment, guess what he feels? More deeply disrespected. To which then he withdraws that much more. She feels unloved. She begins to verbalize even further, and he feels just, it, 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 and it's the crazy cycle. And some of us in this room right now, you are so far down the crazy cycle right now. You're going, my husband is broken beyond repair. See, some of you men right now are going, man, there is no way my wife could ever be different. I, I just think this thing is so deeply broken. And here's what you need to hear me say. 
I don't, I don't care how far you come. I don't care what damage we've done so far. It can be healed. It can be fixed. But you and I have got to, you ready for this? You and I have got to uninvite anger to our moments of conflict. Because our anger is like a dam that we've released destruction upon our own marriages. And here's the really, really cool part. You ready for this? A fight without anger can actually become a construction project. A fight without anger can actually become something that is healing and restorative in your lives. Okay? So we're going to process that. What would it look like to fight without anger? Okay? And this is where it gets practical. And we're going to give you four steps that actually spell out the word SWAT. You know you call in the SWAT unit in order to prevent the crisis, right? Okay, so we're going to go SWAT on this thing. Okay? No uniforms required, but we're going SWAT. So here's first step on this, okay? You and I are going to schedule your next fight. How cool is that? Because let's be honest. Here's, here's how fights usually erupt. Fights are almost always unscheduled. And what's happened is, is that our spouse has done something that really, really irritated us. And when they did that, you know, we would say, I, I'm knee deep in frustration. And then they do something else. And, and you go, okay, now I, I'm wading in it. And then, and then they, then they do something else. And you're like, crud, what's wrong? How can they make so many, uh, mistakes in a row? And so now, you know, it's up here. And then here's how it always happens, right? They make the final mistake. I mean, the one that makes the water just go up above your eyeballs while you're in public. So now you're like holding it down because you're not going to say that and do that in public. And then, and then you go walking to the car and your spouse says something like, Oh, all of your friends are boring. And then you're like, Aah! and it's just an inappropriate amount of anger in the moment because, because you're not dealing just with the comment. You're dealing with all the other things that you've been holding down. And now you have anger crashing into your calendar in the form of a fight. So you and I are going to schedule our next fight, okay? So here's what happens. Anytime, anytime that you and I are in a moment in which our spouse seems disappointing or does something, we go, man, I just wish they wouldn't have said that in public. That was kind of embarrassing or whatever that moment is. One box that you and I can put it in is the forgive it and forget it box, okay? So th- let me, this needs to be a big box, Okay. <laughs> Matter of fact, scripture says love covers a multitude of sins. And if you're going to make it with your spouse, I'm just going to tell you, this better be a well, there's going to be a lot of moments that you just got to go, look, I mean, it doesn't thrill me. And, you know, I wish it hadn't, you know, and I wish it was different. But here's it. It's just not worth going after. It's just, it's just not. And I'm just going to put it in the forgive it, forget it box, which means I'm not going to hold it for later and bring it up on my list. I'm not going to. No, I, I forgave that and I forgot. I just said, look, it's, just, it's not worth the conflict. The forgive it, forget it box. Another box that you and I have an option to is the fix it box. And in this moment, what we're saying is, no, 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 wait a minute. That one was a big deal. Uh, that's one that if I'm going to stay married to this person for the next 40 years, I don't want to do that over and over and over again. 
We need to figure out some sort of solution to this. This is something we've got to work through to a healthy new place in our relationship. And the moment something hits the fix-it box, the moment you go, no, 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 that's a fix-it item, you schedule. The moment that happens, you go, hey, you know what? Hey, on Saturday, uh, could we could we go out, have some coffee? There's just some things I want us to go over together. And here's the cool part. Because you're only knee-deep in frustration. Anger is uninvited to that conversation. You now go with a completely different disposition because the moment something hit the fix-it box, you scheduled the conversation. There's a third box that you can never use in a marriage. It's the hold-it box. Because when you do that, everything you put in the hey, that bothers me, but I'm not going to forgive it, and I'm not going to go have the appointment and talk. I'm just going to put it in the hold it against you forever box. Wait till I need it to use against you box. That's when it fills up. That's, this box is anger. And it has no place in your relationship. Okay? Second thing uh, that you and I are going to do no weapons allowed. This includes guns and brass knuckles. But more importantly, words. Because let's just be honest. If you've been married to your spouse for any length of time, you know what to say to deeply wound and if we were being honest in this room today, we'd probably all have to lift our hands and say, no, there, there was a fight. And I, I felt myself losing. I felt myself at a distance. And then I said, oh, yeah? What about your always? And I said it to gain advantage. And I knew. I knew it would go directly to their heart. And I knew. I knew it would cause damage. Matter of fact, grab your Bibles again real quick. Still in Ephesians chapter 4, if you didn't close your Bible. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Here's what it says. You ready? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Do not let... Next word. Okay. Let me give you a clue. It's on the screen. Do not let... Any. I wonder what the Bible means when it says any. I'm thinking maybe it means not one time. Ever. Do not, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Don't ever pull out the weapon. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that what you say would actually benefit those who listen. You ever heard the saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me? You realize whoever said that was an idiot. You realize that, right? Because there is nothing more damaging than words. Words create lifetime wounds. 
It's interesting, years ago when I was youth pastoring, we took a bunch of kids up on a ski trip, and uh, it started on the bus. Uh, we're riding up the, the mountain, and one of the kids on the bus was a kid by the name of David. Uh, David David was one of those super intellectual, geeky kids. He was probably the head of the chess club uh, in all the science projects. I mean, that was, that was just David, super sharp. Sitting across the aisle from him was Matt, and... Uh, Matt was this highly athletic kid. I mean, everything he put himself to in sports, he just excelled at it. But probably the polite way to say it is maybe not the brightest bulb in the pack. You got the moment? Okay. So here they are. They're riding up on the bus. And somewhere in the discussion, David started throwing mental barbs at Matt. And it was, it was almost painful to watch because Matt didn't have the capacity to come back in like and kind. And so he's just taking it all on the mental chin uh, as David is doing this to him. The weekend progresses until one evening I'm sitting in the living room and you begin to hear things falling and breaking in the next room. I go into the room to find Matt sitting on top of David, knees on his shoulders, and while he's doing this, David is throwing verbal barbs at Matt. And each time he does it, Matt takes his fist and pounds into David's chest as hard as he possibly can. And then David turns around and says something else. And then Matt, boom, down on his chest. Now, no one went to stop the situation because we all figured David deserved it. <laughs> but here's what we did do. Uh, we said, David, just shut up. Don't say anything more. He'll, he'll let you go. To which David said, no way. Because the bruises he's giving me right now will be gone in a couple weeks. But the emotional damage I'm causing him will last a lifetime. I'll make you a bet. I'll make you a bet that if you were to walk up to David today and ask him to show you his chest, I bet you all the bruises are gone. But I'll make you an equal bet. I bet if you went to Matt and said, hey, do you remember any of the words that David said to you? I bet he could quote him. Because there's nothing so harmful as words. And if you and I are honest, there have been moments in anger with our spouse that we said whatever we had to say to gain the tactical advantage and win. And Solomon would say, don't ever breach that down. Don't ever allow anger to cause you to bring weapons to the discussion. Third one. We're going to avoid blame. Hey, isn't the reality, guys, if you and I stop and think about it, that the majority of our fights, especially anger-filled fights, are all about assessing blame? Well, I wouldn't have if you hadn't. It all started when you, you have never, yes, I did a year and a half ago. I did once, right? I mean, it's all, it's all blame mongering, right? It's all, think about it. When's the last time you actually had a discussion that worked towards solution? The vast, vast majority of the times, even when we get done with all the anger and all the yelling and all the pontificating, it was all about trying to disperse blame on the other person. And most often it ended completely unsatisfactory. So we're just going to dispense with that step. We're going to say, look, this isn't, this isn't about blame. And instead, we're going to come to the moment with a solution. We're just going to say, hey, this, in my mind, this is what better would look like. Because blame isn't helpful, but solutions are. Years ago, 
uh, Lisa and I were traveling to Northern California. We're on vacation. And uh, the story I'm about to tell you is all her fault because she was the navigator. Okay? So just want to establish that. Um, so we're traveling. We're on vacation. We're traveling. Uh, and, and we're watching the map. And what we know is, is that we simply need to stay on Highway 89. If we stay on Highway 89, we're going to get to our destination. Unfortunately, we come to a fork in the road and there's no signage. There's nothing. And so now you're left with, you know, what do you do? And so we just kind of flip a coin and we say, all right, let's go to the, you know, on the road to the right. And we start heading down it. And you know, when you have that sinking moment in your life and you go, I I think maybe we made a mistake. Because you just keep getting further out and there's less of civilization and you start looking to the side of the road and it looks like children of the corn. I mean, it just, you know, it gets to that <laughs> little eerie and, uh, and then the sun begins to set and it gets dark and there's no lights. So you're just traveling in utter blackness for a long time. And then finally up ahead, we see a highway sign. And so we say, okay, good, a highway sign. That's going to be really, really helpful. And so we get to the highway sign. Here's what the highway sign said. You ready? This is not... Highway 89. <laughs> I mean, all that establishes is, hey, you're lost. I mean, I mean, there, there's no help in that. I mean, I mean, how much better if it would sort of said, hey, uh, turn around and go back six miles. I mean, there's nothing there that's helpful. And guys, I'm going to suggest to you that very often in the fights we've had, because we've been such blame mongers, that we have said absolutely nothing that has any capacity to help. And instead, here's what I'm going to suggest. Come with solution. There's a chance that you'd come and say, hey, here's what I'm thinking. If, if you would just tuck the kids in bed twice a week, which all of a sudden gives him the opportunity to go, that's all you're asking? I thought you were asking for something really big. I thought this was going to be huge. I mean... I could do that. Or maybe twice every... I mean, it gives you a place to negotiate from, right? It gives you a place to have conversation from. So you and I are now going to avoid blame. We're going to come... What would better look like? Hey, could, could we just schedule every other week to have a date night? That would be so much better. I, I can't even tell you how much that helped my heart. Oh, I mean, that's all. That's, that would... Oh, yeah. We'll come with solution. And then final, you ready? We're going to treat with respect. Grab your Bibles. This is a really interesting verse. It's in 1 Peter. So go to the very back of your Bible. Start working to the left. Don't go very fast because 1 Peter is this tiny little book. If you get to the book of James, you've gone too far. Come back again. 1 Peter chapter uh, 3. Starting in verse 7. Here's what it says. Okay, you ready? Husbands, in the same way be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. Isn't that interesting? Because we just talked last week about how that's not one of her primary needs. I think the reason God uses that verbiage here is this. He knew that as men we would understand that terminology. He's saying, hey, when you, when you come to this moment of disagreement, it's absolutely critical that you treat her the way that she should be treated. This is a respect issue. And he knew when he said that to men that men would get it. Okay. And then here's what God says next. Treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you in the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Now, whoa, whoa, wait, lady, whoa, whoa. Before you go crazy on me. Before you write the emails. 
When it's saying weaker partner here, it's not talking about like physical strength or anything like that, which I'm just going to say though out loud, if you can beat your husband in arm wrestling, you do have issues. Okay, so just saying, but, but, but here's the, here's the, that's not what he's, that's, he's actually saying the more delicate partner, the partner who it's easier to wound because she wears her heart so close. Maybe a better way of saying it is the more precious one. The one who you've got to treat with more gentleness and care. You Guys, you can't treat her like you do one of your buddies. You've got to cherish her in this moment. You've got to be able to say in this moment as we're disagreeing, I'm not going to say things to wound you. I'm not going to puff out my chest. I'm not going to run over the conversation. Instead, I am going to treat you. You ready? As my cherished partner right now. It's the respectable thing for a man to do. Ladies, I think it works conversely. I think God would say to you, hey, in this moment, treat him with respect. In this moment, give him honor. Give him the honor of being the head of your home. Give him the honor of being the father of your children. Just give him honor. Which doesn't, it doesn't mean that you don't say what you need to say. It, doesn't mean, it just simply means you say it with honor and respect in that moment. In the same way if you were talking to a police officer or the same way if you were talking to a supervisor at work, you choose honorable ways to say what you needed to say. Do that. Okay, so here's the challenge. Here we go. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. So in the seat back right in front of you, there's a card just like this. This is challenge number four. Here's what it is. Set a time to discuss a topic of tension in your marriage. Now, let me explain this to you. This is us setting the appointment. Do not pick a number 10. Don't pick the thing that's going to cause rioting in the streets. You are not ready to navigate this with a 10 right now. Okay? Pick a five. Pick a five. And each of you gets to pick. He gets to come and say, hey, here's my five. She gets to pick and say, here's my five. We're going to go have a cup of coffee. Do it in a public place. Okay? And, and we're just we're, we're going to schedule it. Weapons are going to be left at home. We're going to avoid blame. And we're going to treat each other with cherished respect. You are to work for a solution and not a win. And you must sit and be touching one another during the conversation. Let me, I know that sounds a little weird to some of you. Let, let me tell you why. I think this is a symbolic moment that I think has the potential to be really powerful. Okay, and so I'm going to ask you to try it at least once. Men, I want you to put your hand on her. Not that way. No, I mean, I just... That's later. We'll talk about that next week. So, I want you to put your hand on her either on her knee, on her shoulder. Hold her hand. I don't care. Because here's what I want that moment to symbolize. I am cherishing you right now. I am here to work with you and not to harm you. And I'm going to hold you in a cherished place as we have this conversation. How powerful is that, men? Ladies. One lady's clapping. All right, good. Her husband's in trouble. (laughs) Ladies, I want you to touch him. I want you to put your hand on his shoulder. I want you to put your hand on his knee. I don't don't care. 
But I want you in that moment, because here's what that's going to remind. Everything I'm about to say, everything we're about to, we're going to do that. I'm going to do this with honor and respect. I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to get belligerent. I'm not going to say things in an accusatory. I'm going to be honorable right now as we talk. And here's what I want you to watch for. Isn't this interesting? I want you to watch to see if your spouse pulls the hand back. Because you know what they're saying in that moment. Hey, wait, wait, wait. You just disrespected me. See, I'm disengaging. Hey, wait, 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 wait. You just failed to cherish me. And I'm, I'm pulling back. And the goal, the goal is to keep the hand there. And see what happens in that discussion. Let's pray. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, we just simply come to the moment. and God, this may be one of the most critical places in which the rubber meets the road. That in the moments of disagreement, in the moments when our spouse is frustrating, that we would treat them with honor and cherished. That, that we would stow our weapons, that we would leave our anger out of the picture and we would work together for solution and healing and health together. God, may the marriages of Cornerstone be so incredibly powerful that people who are far from God are jealous of our marriages. And this I pray in Jesus' name, amen.